It's all about speaking their language. And all I can say is that Lightning McQueen is quite popular in our house, as I'm sure any one of you who have, who have toddlers or young boys or maybe girls uh, enjoy cars as well, so that's a big hit. It's great to be here this morning, and one of the things that I'm, I'm sensing in, in my spirit here this morning is that God wants to speak to us in a new and fresh way. And so often I find that it's on these mornings where it seems like all these little technical glitches come along and things that, you know, frustrate us or, or things where, you know, it just seems like everything's going wrong. It's often, I, I think it's the enemy trying to distract us from what God has right in front of us, that he wants to, to usher us into something. And I, I just sense that this is one of those mornings where God wants to speak to us in a new and a fresh way. And as we come together here in fellowship and, and later around the Lord's table, as we, as we fellowship together with God, but also with each other, I think we, we can sense even in this, the Spirit is here, and He is ready to speak to our hearts through His Word. So would you bow with me, and let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that by Your Word we have light, we receive Your truth, But Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit shows us what that truth means, that it helps us to understand what it speaks to each one of our situations, into our lives, Lord, into our hurt or our pain or our problems. Your Holy Spirit is there, and that, Lord, you transform this word from just words on a page to a living, dynamic, life-changing force within us, and that as we are filled by your word and as your Spirit empowers us, that we can live lives that are pleasing to you, that we can do great things in your name and for your kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, that you would once again uh, reignite this awareness of your spirit within us here this morning. Would you speak to our hearts through your word? I pray that they would be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. One night, a wife found her husband, and he was standing over their infant's crib. And he was leaning over there and she looked into the room and saw this tender moment happening where he's leaning over, looking down at their their newborn child. And as she looks at his face, she sees this mixture of different emotions. She sees this disbelief, delight, amazement, skepticism, enchantment, all of these things wrapped up in one as he's leaned over this crib looking down at their newborn baby. And just touched by this unusual display of the deep emotions that it seemed to arouse, with glistening eyes, the wife slips into the room and puts her arm around her husband and whispers softly, a penny for your thoughts. It's amazing, he replied. She nodded, her heart full in agreement as she looked down at their sleeping child. Her husband continued, it's, it's just amazing. I just can't see how anyone can make a crib like this for only $66.95. Talk about missing the point. Here he is looking at one of the greatest miracles, one of the greatest blessings in God creation, the gift of a newborn child, this miracle of life. But here all this father's thinking about, all that he sees is the value of this crib and as, as he's doing so, he's entirely missing the point of what the crib was constructed for. He's, he's missing the point that inside of this crib is this invaluable treasure of this child. 
And now as we hear that story, of course, it sounds a little bit ridiculous to us, but I don't really believe that that father and his perspective is all that unique. You know, there's many times that we look at God's handiwork. You know, we we look at the things that he does or the things that he has made, and we only see the outer and physical aspects, and we miss the treasure that lies within. This can happen in many, many different ways. Whether it's the birth of a new baby, as in the story, whether it's the birth of a new Christian, we can often see the outworking and miss the power of the Spirit within that made this possible. You know, these are one of those, those treasured moments that can happen in a life only once when they first give their life to the Lord. And, you know, last night at youth group, as in our time of, of worship and prayer, a young girl gave her life to the Lord last night for the first time. And we just praise the Lord for that. Because we see the outworking. of she, she, she came to a place where she was ready to make a decision. But the Spirit was working within. The Spirit was moving within her heart and speaking through the message, speaking through the prayer. And she came to a point of saying, Yes, Lord, I want you. I'm giving my life to you. And so we look at these things. And do we see the necessity of the Holy Spirit working within to make these things possible? You know, so often, we overlook this ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see the, outs- the outside appearances. We see the visible. But we miss the power that actually drives all of God's activity on earth. There is absolutely nothing that we can do as a Christian without the Spirit of God that will do anything to advance God's kingdom. Anything that we do in our own strength and in our own power is less than nothing. The only thing that drives God's power and the building of His kingdom on this earth is when we are acting in the Spirit, in accordance with the power that He has given us. When we're acting on our own and we speak on our own, it's less than nothing. We have to work in accordance with the Holy Spirit of God. God's Word tells us that when we obey Jesus, and when we first give our lives to Him by repenting of our sins, and when we are baptized into fellowship into Him, we are promised that we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now notice that it is a gift. It's not something that we can buy. It's not something we can purchase or or work for. It is a gift. God gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verse 7, the Lord Jesus clearly states the importance of the Holy Spirit to each believer. He says in verse 7, if you want to turn there with me, feel free to turn to John chapter 16. In verse 7, we read this. Speaking to his disciples, it is for your good that I am going away. That's an interesting statement all by itself. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, speaking about the Holy Spirit, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin. You know, that first line, it is better for you that I go away. You know, how many times haven't I just wished that I could have the Lord Jesus just physically right next to me? There's so many times, so many instances in life where I just like wish I could just face-to-face ask Jesus, what should I do? You know, where should I go? What should I say? And if Jesus was there, just in my mind, I think it would be so easy. I would know exactly what to do. And he could just tell me or show me. 
And so I think, what could possibly be better than having the Lord Jesus physically with me? Jesus himself says this to his disciples, that having the Holy Spirit is better for them than even having him physically with them. What a statement. You know, I I sometimes, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around this. Do you agree with Jesus' statement on this? I think we kind of have to, right? It's the Lord Jesus speaking. But do we agree with it that the Holy Spirit, this gift, is actually better than having Jesus physically with us? This is something for us to think about for a moment. How could it be that the Holy Spirit is a better thing for us as Christians to have than Jesus walking alongside of us? Listen to this. The reason is this. The reason is Jesus is God with us. But the Holy Spirit is God in us. Jesus is God with us, but the Holy Spirit is God in us. Let me explain the difference to you. Think about Jesus' disciples for a moment. When they had Jesus physically walking around with them, you know, they they were doing the two and a half, three years of ministry together with Jesus. They had Jesus physically with them to teach them, show them miracles, explain things to them. But remember, as they were going around doing this, the disciples had not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, you will notice throughout the gospel narratives, the disciples constantly didn't understand. When Jesus would teach in parables, they didn't get it. When Jesus would teach things about the kingdom, they didn't get it. When Jesus would do miracles, they would think it was all about the physical aspect of it and not the spiritual aspect. They constantly had Jesus with them, and yet, without the Holy Spirit, they didn't understand what was going on. And so often Jesus had to ask them, why don't you get this yet? Why are you still wondering about this? Do I have to explain everything to you? You know, Jesus says as much to them in John 16 and verse 12, a little bit later on in our passage. He says to them, I have much more to say to you about this, more than you can now bear. You see, they just couldn't understand so much of what was happening. And for the little that they could understand, They so often lacked the courage, the faith, and the power to follow through on what Jesus was teaching them. Sure, they often talked a big game, right? Who was it? Peter who said, Lord, we will go with you even unto the death. They talked big. But could they follow through on it without the Holy Spirit? And when push comes to shove, we see every last one of them come to that point where they either deny him betray him, abandon him, hide away in locked doors, afraid to even be associated with this man who a few days earlier they said, we will go with you to the death. What was the difference? They lacked power within. They lacked the Holy Spirit, God in us. Yes, they had Jesus physically with them, but Jesus says, it's better for you that God comes by my spirit to live within you because then you will have the power to actually live this out in life-changing, transformative ways. Verse 13, he says this, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. In other words, you may not get it right now. I have more things that I want to tell you, but they'd be so far over your head, I'm not going to waste my breath. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to give you understanding into the deep things of God. You just wait and see what's going to happen. And happen it did. In Acts chapter 2, 
we read that Peter preached his very first sermon the same day that he personally received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Talk about a steep learning curve, right? Well, bam, Holy Spirit, now Peter, get up and start preaching. How would you like it the very first time? It's like, you know what? You just accepted the Lord. All right, you're preaching. Today, right now, come do it, right here. Any takers, you know? And yet we see Peter, the same day of Pentecost, he gets up and preaches his first sermon. You know, on that day of Pentecost, we saw in the video, the Holy Spirit comes as a great wind and descended on the disciples like tongues of flame, and they were immediately given the ability to speak in different languages. And there was such a commotion, and there was so much noise, and they're, they're speaking, and they're all excited. Obviously, they're shouting and jubilation that some passerbys hear all this commotion, and they come up and accuse them of being drunk. They accuse them of being, you know, intoxicated early in the morning. And in response to that accusation, Peter stands up, and he preaches the first sermon. Pastor W. Herschel Ford once entitled a sermon on this topic quite aptly as spiritual intoxication. They were, they were drunk on something, all right, but it wasn't wine. They were drunk on the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God had intoxicated them, had filled them up with power, and it was spilling out in all directions that passerbys couldn't understand it, and they say, you must be drunk, and Peter says, it's early in the morning. Who would be drunk at this time? And then he launches into his very first sermon. Peter explains that they're not drunk on wine, but filled with the Spirit, as the prophet Joel had prophesied many centuries earlier. Now remember that before that day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit descended on them like tongues of fire, before all of that, Peter, good old Peter, had a hard time putting three words together without putting his foot in his mouth, right? You know, Peter was the guy who was the first to jump out of the boat, the first to, you know, speak up, the first to ask the kind of dumb question. And again and again, we see Peter getting himself in trouble every time he opens his mouth. Suddenly, everything has changed, and Peter preaches one of the most powerful sermons the world has ever heard, because it launched the church. This was the sermon, the foundation upon which the Acts Church was built, was that day of Pentecost. And he stands up, and he preaches so powerfully and so effectively that Acts 2 verse 37 says this is the people's response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. They were so convicted that it was like he had shoved a dagger in. And they were so convicted that they cried out, What shall we do? What a question, right? When conviction comes, what do we do with it? Do we say, ah, you know, I'm just going to fight it off and I'll forget about it and I'll try to put it away? Or do we ask the question, what shall I do? What do I do with this conviction when the Holy Spirit comes in power? And they ask this question. And Peter replies in verse 38. He says, repent. Repent. What should you do? What should I do when the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin in our lives? When the Holy Spirit brings conviction of apathy, of being on the wrong road, of being complacent or sleepwalking through our Christian lives? What should we do when the Holy Spirit says, Awake, O sleeper, arise! What should we do? Peter says, Repent. What does repent mean? It means turn. It means confess this sin and turn away from it. Turn in God's direction. 
And for these, these people, the very first time, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What he had been given that very day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, it can be yours too. This day isn't just about me and my other buddies here who received the Holy Spirit. You know what? The Holy Spirit wants to do something bigger and greater, and it's going to happen right here today if you want it. Do you want it? And they wanted it. And that day, 3,000 new people received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in Jesus' name. And it spread like wildfire. Why? Because the Spirit was in it. And when the Spirit of God is moving and active and powerful, it cannot be contained. It will always spread. So if you're a Christian, and if you have repented of your sins and received Jesus' forgiveness for them, then you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've probably heard that before, but think about that. The presence of the living God is within you. How cool is that, right? I mean... God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who can hold the universe in the palm of his hand, is in you. Really? In me? Does this do something to you? I mean, really, stop and consider for a moment. Could it be that the same Holy Spirit that suddenly supercharged Peter's preaching on that day of Pentecost is the same Spirit that is dwelling right now within you and within I? You know, that's exactly what the Bible's telling us here. And so if this is true, if this is true, then it's a big deal. But if the exact same indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is available to each one of us today, why does it so often seem to be missing from our lives and from our churches? Where is the fire that is contagious, that it's spreading like wildfire? Why are we just sitting here? looking at each other and wondering, where is it? Where's the power? Where's the presence, the gift that we've been promised? Where is he? You know, I believe one of the primary reasons that we look around and we wonder why there's no fire, why there's no spreading of the gospel in this dynamic, powerful way, is that we have overlooked the ministry and the importance of the Holy Spirit. You know, he becomes like that Christmas gift that we first get, and we're all excited about it, and then by the end of the day, it's tucked away in the corner and we never look at it again. You know, we tend to get so focused on the things that we can see and hear. You know, we get focused on teaching and preaching and singing and programs and buildings that we forget about the one who gives those things their power in the first place. You know, I remember as a child being in awe of hydroelectric dams. You know, I suspect that this awe and the uh, appetite for it was fostered by my dad. You know, he always made certain that when we went on holidays, if there was, a, you know, a hydroelectric dam anywhere within 100 miles of the route we were going on, we were taking a detour to go visit it. And so, you know, we would, we would go to these things and we would look at the scope and the, and the size. And the thing that always drew me in, though, was the water pouring over the top. You know, that water, the power, just this, you know the volume of water would just blow me away like how many gallons like how many bathtubs of water is going over here every single second and just this cascade of the power of it as it would tumble over the top in this huge froth 
and the roar at the bottom. And I would just stand there mesmerized by this froth and this power that it symbolized. And, and as we looked at this, one of the things that I remember thinking when my dad told me that these things generated electricity, I believed that somehow it was the water pouring over the top of the dam that was generating the electricity. That's just what I assumed. That's what I could see. But one time, I don't remember all the particulars on this, when it happened, but we got a chance to take a tour of the inside of one of these, one of these power plants. And we were shown how it's actually the water that we couldn't see that was being siphoned off deep within the dam that was being put through tubes that would be sent through turbines and through generators. And those generators would be spinned by this water being pushed through at high speed. And this was what was generating the electricity. This was what was sending the power surging down the power lines that would eventually make its way into people's homes so that lights could be turned on. And we have lights going here in the church. It wasn't the, the, the showy froth going over the top. It was something hidden deep within where the power actually lay. And there I was, thinking that it was about the water going over the top. But it was what was going on inside and out of sight that generated the power. And I believe this is very similar to how the Holy Spirit works. You know, his power and his works are obvious. But he himself is hidden. He himself is mysterious. He's, he's out of plain sight and as a result often overlooked. Jesus gave this characteristic of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is with everyone born of the Spirit. Whether we are aware of him or not, I can assure you that every single day we are surrounded by and the recipients of the working of the Holy Spirit. Are we learning to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit around us in our lives? Do you recognize that, in fact, right now, here, this very moment, we are being ministered to by the Holy Spirit of God? Are you crediting Him with that ministry, or are you giving that to someone else? Let me give you an example. Say we're worshiping God together through, through music. And suddenly, a particular line in a song, maybe you've sung it countless times before, but for some reason, this time, this line speaks to you so powerfully that you can barely contain your emotions. You feel this welling up inside of you, and it just wants to spill out. And maybe, it, it, you know, it's, you're fighting back tears. What was it that caused this response of worship to God? You know, we could point to the praise team and say, wow, they did a really good job today. Or we could say, you know, whoever wrote that song, you know, they really spoke to me today. And now, of course, we don't want to be dismissive of the vessel that God has used to channel His Holy Spirit because maybe the worship team did do a great job and the person who wrote that song was inspired by God to write those words. But it was all brought about by the Holy Spirit for that moment in that time to speak to your heart. That was a working of the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize Him? Do you recognize the Holy Spirit speaking to you from within? Because when we fail to recognize Him, we end up missing out on the full extent of what the Holy Spirit wants to do within each one of us and through each one of us. When we fail to utter, when we fail to recognize the utter necessity 
of the Holy Spirit. And we think we can live the Christian life on our own, on our own terms, on our own power. Then we more or less slip into this status quo way of living, where we sleepwalk our way through the Christian life, thinking this is what we're supposed to be doing, and yet the outworking of it, it's all maybe froth, but the generators are dry. They're not spinning. Maybe there's some outward show. Maybe the water's still tumbling over the top so everyone looks and says, yeah, there must be power there because I can see some outward signs of it. But inside, the turbines aren't turning because the Holy Spirit is not going through. You know, we are the generator that the Holy Spirit wants to be poured through so that our lives will be powerful, that we can send power out through those those hydro lines so that lights can be turned on. Not the lights here in the sanctuary, but the lights within people's souls. The lights that God wants to turn on when people are living in darkness. Are we being the generator or are we just putting on an outward show but missing the power within that drives the change? We need the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're less than nothing. Ephesians 2 verse 18 says this, Do not get drunk on wine wherein there is excess. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This line, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is a powerful line. You know, the Holy Spirit within us does many, many things. First and foremost, Jesus pointed out that he convicts us of sin. He he convicts us of the places in our life where we have fallen short of God's glory. And then he points us in the direction of repentance. And once we have repented, then the Holy Spirit continues His work within us of transforming us, that it's not just about getting rid of sin, it's about then being filled with all of the good things that the Holy Spirit wants to bring. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that God wants to replace the old man with and fill us with the new. Um, I'm going to show you an illustration that I read of D.L. Moody shared with a large audience. He, one moment, he took a glass like this and he held it up and he asked the question, how can I get the air out of this glass? Does anyone have any suggestions on, on this? How would you get the air out? Good point, Barry. You know, you could do a lot of things You could do a lot of things, like try to suck the air out, but if you fill it with water, voila, simple solution, right? And so it is with us. If we try to get the sin out of our lives by sucking it out, by having it pumped out somehow, what's going to happen? Not a lot, right? When we have our sins forgiven... The Holy Spirit comes in and replaces that vacuum that was left behind. We are then filled and filled again and renewed and filled again. And the Holy Spirit's presence never leaves. But the power and the filling is something that we need to seek on a daily basis. That we commune with God. And as we commune with Him, that Holy Spirit is fanned within us, is filling within us. And we continue to walk in His power. Without His power, we can do nothing. And so in Ephesians 1.13, we are also told that God's Holy Spirit is the mark of his ownership on our lives. Let me ask you, who owns your life? Who is your owner? Who is your master? And you might say, no one owns me, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman, no one can tell me what to do. 
That's not the attitude of the Christian heart. The Christian heart is one of submission to our master, our owner, our Lord. And the mark of this is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. If you have assurance in your heart of salvation, that is the Holy Spirit's working. It is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so vast that it could never be boiled down to one or two points. He does so many things. He shows us the deep truths of God's word. He teaches us how to pray and even prays on our behalf with groanings that are too deep for words. He guides us in the paths of our life. He teaches us. He empowers us for ministry. He empowers us to be a witness for God, to make disciples. He gives us spiritual and supernatural gifts to God's glory. Acts 1 verse 8 tells us, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You can take your pick, because all of these things, all of these aspects of the Holy Spirit are important. But I especially like the fact that when Jesus first introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he called him the Comforter. He didn't call him any other name. He called him the Comforter. I really like that aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. Some of you may have seen the recent film that showed these early parts of his life. And during these early years and early days of him playing in Major League Baseball for the first time as the first African-American to play there, he faced jeering and racism in every crowd and every stadium that he ever faced. And as a result of being the first, he was held to this higher standard. And he was often criticized and scrutinized more often than the white players would be of his time. And one day, while playing at his home stadium in Brooklyn... He committed an error at second base. He let the ball go by through his legs, and the crowd began to ridicule him mercilessly. They were jeering him and throwing things in his direction, and he just stood at the base, humiliated as his home fans, the people who are supposed to support him, were mocking and ridiculing him. But then shortstop Pee Wee Reese walks over towards Jackie Robinson. He shuffles his way across the diamond, He stands up beside him, reaches out his arm, puts it around Jackie's shoulders, and he just stands and looks at the crowd. This act of solidarity, of standing there with a brother and saying, you know what, I got your back. This act of comfort Jackie Robinson pointed back to as being the defining moment that gave him the ability to persevere and keep going and not give up. Because as he stood there, He needed comfort. He needed someone to come to him, to have his back, to be an ally. Pee Wee Reese did that for him. And so too, when we are in these tough places in life where we feel defeated and we need someone to have our back and to come and just put an arm around us, the comforter comes. The Holy Spirit of God comes and whispers these words of assurance. You're okay. I've got you. I've got my arms around you. I'm within you. Can you feel me? You're never alone. I am here to comfort you. Have you experienced that ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? I have more times than 
than I can remember. And I don't know what I would do without that aspect of the Holy Spirit's comfort in my life to give me that ability to persevere and not give up, not lose hope, but to move on knowing that He is with me. He is in me. It's just what we need in our sin, in our brokenness, in our discouragement, in our failures, in our pains and heartaches. We need someone to bring us comfort from within. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. And so today, we can rely on that comfort. We can rely on the Holy Spirit to come from within. And He will fan something into flame that's new and fresh. And as He fills us, we will begin to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. These are the things that we need today. So as the presence and power of the Holy Spirit been absent in your life? Do you need to be refreshed? Are you ready to be refreshed? Are you ready to say, what do I need to do? Let me tell you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, He will give you understanding. He will comfort you. And He will fill you with power and boldness to witness for Him and live a life that is pleasing to God our Father. So if today that is your desire, I would invite you to stand with me and let's pray and simply ask God and His Holy Spirit to fall on us. Holy Spirit, we simply ask that you would fill us anew. That, Father, that you would pour out your Spirit on us in a fresh and new way. That we would know that you are with us. That you are in us. That you are here to comfort us. And you are here to give us a purpose. You are here to give us joy. And you are here to send us out in power as your witnesses. That we can leave here today saying, We are your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outer ends of the earth, including Killarney, Manitoba. And so, Lord, as we go out from here, we pray that we would not go out in our own strength, that we would not just put on an external show, but that, Lord, we would have your Spirit within us to give us the power to truly live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that can make a difference, not just for today, but for all of eternity. And Lord, if there's someone here today who just needs that special touch from you, I just pray for them right now, Lord, that they would feel you as the comforter, that you are right there, right there in their pain, in their hurt, whatever it is that's going on, in their doubt, in their struggle, in their fear. Oh Lord, would you bring them comfort? Would you fill them with your joy, your love, your peace? And would you give them courage, Lord? Courage to live a life that is fully devoted to you. And so bless us now. Bless us as your people. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you by your power and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.